0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin leads the nation in the production of specialty cheeses, accounting for 47% of the total? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com.
2: Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood, eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are, people of color in restaurants, and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, 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 was, yeah, I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock.
1: It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're gonna find.
2: You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris.
1: Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks.
2: So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong.
3: Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Stephanie and Edward Chepe Azelbach from Gut Oga in Austria. They're calling in from Austria. We'll talk to Stephanie and Edward about terroir, grapes, biodynamics, Gut Oga, and much more. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Edward and Stephanie Chefe-Ezelbock from Bergenland in Austria took on the task and challenge of restoring a 17th century winery, a 200-year-old press, and vines that were ignored for over 20 years. What they created was a family of wines based on the personality of these wines with now iconic labels of different family members. Their winery, Gut Ogau, produces living wines with great energy and is certified biodynamic by Demeter. Welcome to the show, Stephanie and Edward.
4: Hi, thank Hello. you for having us. It's thank- so nice what
3: you just said. <laughs> okay, well, it's well-deserved. Um, welcome to the show. I want to say that back in November during Raw Wine, I had the good fortune of meeting you guys. Sev Peru introduced me to you guys at the Bells. Um, during uh, Raw Wine. So I did get a chance to say hello and slip you my card and, you know, ask you to come on. So it's finally come, and I'm happy to have you uh, on the show. So welcome to the Grape Nation.
4: Thank, thank you, you so you. much.
3: All right, so and I... Thank, big,
4: go, and big thank you to Seth to brought us together. <laughs>
3: yeah, I think she's in Australia. Not Austria, but Australia right now. Um, yeah. She'll be back. All right, so... People who know you guys and know your wines and know the labels, um, it's easy for them to understand what's going on. There's that many more people that don't know. So I want you guys and take as much time as you need to give us a little background on your journey in life and wine that got you ultimately to restoring and opening the Gut Oga winery and, you know, celebrating success now. Where did it start?
5: <laughs> the thing is we're still at the start if you ask us so okay
3: that's always a good thing
5: right it starts right now at your show okay tonight, today but no we we bought this oldest winery in 2007 and started to get everything back in shape why we did this um it's a little hard to tell it's been only shortly before that uh, both of us met and i quickly asked stephanie to to marry me otherwise um I would have really been afraid of losing her again, so I needed to, uh, how, how can I say, uh, after three months, I needed to ask her, and then uh, fortunately she said yes, so it was clear we would spend the, our life together, and also we wanted to create and do something together, and I come from a wine grower's family, Stephanie's actually from the um, uh, hospitality, so her, her parents run a very good restaurant and hotel nearby, so we both had some connection to wine, but Why we ended up doing this here, what we're doing is just because we wanted to create something and we fell in love with the place and we saw this huge potential there was. And then finally got going without really thinking into the future. We were just in the moment and we were just trying to express ourselves and express the vineyards.
4: We were crazy enough uh, to to be young and to do such a huge um, investment in our lifetime and in our life
3: <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly the way to do it by the business playbook but screw that okay. it worked out so that's a good thing um when
5: so, the... so if, we, if we would have uh, had some business thoughts of course we need, would have done something else but it was really the passion and the yeah the vision which which drove us and in the end which brought us where we are so we are really happy to have chosen this path so without, Ed- without questioning
3: Edward so you were just married, you said. You and Stephanie got together and not long after, you decided to do the winery thing, correct? So mm. were both of you full steam ahead? I mean, did anyone have hesitations? Did one of you try to talk the other one out
5: of it? No, not at all. Not at all. So we were actually, um, as you say, full steam, the both of us. Right. And still up to now, we, we share the work, we share the ideas, we share the vision. So it's always the two of us, and, of course, sometimes somebody has more energy than the other, and right. the other way around, but right. this is really good the way it is.
3: So let's talk about specifically where you are. Did you have to look long and far for ultimately where you set up the vineyard, or you knew about it before? How did you come about the place you are in now?
4: Um, we, we know the place that it was um, for... for um for selling uh, okay. to my mother. She told us that uh, there's such a nice uh, winery and it's uh, going to be sold. And yeah, we saw it and we fall in love. And we also knew that there's so much potential here in this region and in Austria, which is not really taken yet. And um, this was our idea to show the world the, the amazing potential of what uh, Austrian wines have.
3: Right. So give people an idea geographically. So we're talking Austria, we're talking the Bergenland region, and are we talking about, is it the town of Ogau? Yes,
4: Ogau is the town. The town, and and you're not
3: far from a lake, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. We are uh, on the um, border to, to Hungary, and if you, like, you know all Austria, but it's not the Alps, side what we are uh, right. in it's more the, the very um, flat area very um, I don't know how you call it very smooth it's on a second plant beautiful it's it's not loud beautiful it's not like yeah the rest of Austria right it's,
3: it has its own uh, beauty
4: yes exactly right
3: um, and we're talking about 14 hectares over 32 acres
5: yeah. yeah, actually, we, by now we are at 18 hectares okay. of vineyard. So you've acquired um, more know, land? In, in, in acres, I don't know exactly. That yeah. is. But all the vineyards we work on have already been planted. Okay. So we didn't plant any ourselves. We took over already grown-up vineyards between 30 and 60-year-old vines, which is for us also important because, of course, they're deeply rooted and they can show... The potential of the terroir that's uh, terrific. Even better than the young energetic vines I want to get in into- go ahead yeah and, and that's why from the start we, we chose not to, to go for any new plantings and right. we're happy enough to um, once in a while get a, a, a very beautiful piece of land which we can add to, nice. to our production and that's that's why we are on 18 hectares now
3: nice So, a little expansion. Um, I want to talk to you about the vineyards and the winemaking. But before that, and I think you may have answered this when we opened the show. When you took over the winery, did you guys have a clear vision of what you wanted to do initially? Or you kind of jumped into it and things evolved? Because, Edward, you said, you know, everything is always new even 10, 11 years later. But did you have a clear vision or... You know, how did things work work out?
4: No, I mean, we were both very young. I mean, very young. I mean, now, yeah. But we both knew exactly the vision in which we wanted to go. But, of course, we didn't know the way going (laughs) through. But the idea and uh, how we see wine and um, the philosophy and the... um, uh, that we are working, that we are going to work in that biodynamic approach. This was clear for us. Right. But at the end, you know, like also with uh, the labels, it was also clear for us, or it was, it felt right, right to to explain the wines like this. But we didn't know that it has so much impact now. Right. You know, it was. Right. Yeah, was everything what we do is like um, yeah, with instincts and with uh, feeling what we have and at the end, it's, it's right for us.
3: So where you are today is a continued fulfillment of your vision. I mean, you thought about it then, you're doing it now, and you'll continue to grow it. So that's a good thing. You, you stay. Yeah,
4: it's like, I think it's, it's the same, like um, when somebody asks us, you know, uh, what is this, your, your future look like, or what's your plan? We don't really know, but it's You know, you're in a boat, and there's the river, and right. of course you hold your boat, but right. you don't know where really it goes. You, which get, is you nice get pulled evening. a little,
3: right. All right, so I want to talk about, you know, the vineyards. I want to talk about how the wine is made. I want to talk about grapes, you know, so I'll, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. So let's first talk about the vineyards. I know they were neglected for many years, um, of which you came in and fixed them, but there was a positive to that, because you wanted to go biodynamic, and by the vineyard sitting there untouched for 20 years, it was literally a way to wash away the pesticides, is that true?
5: Yeah, it's true, because they haven't been treated in in the years before we took over, so Talking of conversion to biodynamics, they certainly reacted very positively on this. And also, which is a very important aspect, is um, there wasn't any fertilisation the years before, right. so the, the the vines didn't waste any energy into growth, but they could really focus well on protecting themselves from the start. So the growth is very poor, partly because of the poor soil, right. partly because of the the age of the vines. But all we get, the, the, all the plants give us, is what we can take without exploiting, and this is really important for us. So we're not exploiting the soil, we're not exploiting the plants. They they willingly give a bunch of grapes every year, and this is good enough for us to to really show what the potential of the vineyards is. We're not looking for quantities, we're looking for quality. Quality. We have a very good balance in the vineyards.
3: So how hard was it initially? to get the vines up to your standards did it take a year or two i mean was it an
5: ongoing process when
4: you were i think it's still a process no yeah
5: yeah. we 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 can always improve so there's no for us is not even after these now 11 years that we've been working working on the vineyards we wouldn't say they are at the level we we hope them to be so it's always improving. There's always more life in the soil. There's right. more minerality released. There's more healthiness in the plants, in the grapes. So this will continue. We just have to continue working the way we do and, right. and being sensitive on the vines. And in the end, this will always improve. So we so, have a good standard now, but we know there's there's much more to come.
3: So that being said, you were still able to grow grapes very early on and make wine even though 10, 11 years later, you continue to make things better. You did make wine early on, right?
5: Yeah, yeah, from the start. So the first vintage was 2007. Okay. It was the first grapes we picked. So we had all the year with the work of pruning and everything done. Right. And yeah, we started with this idea of natural wine already at that time. Right. And of course, the the work in the, in the the biodynamic work in the vineyards. So we had this Lively wines in the cellar from the start, and this is what actually also brought us on, the, on this wine family idea and packaging in labeling the wines. Right. But again, 11 years later, of course, the, the vineyards are in, in a different shape, so they release much more energy. They, they are much more storytelling because the work continues, and, and of course, the, the life in the soil is, is much more intense than it used to be when we started. Right.
3: So you are now biodynamic, you are Demeter certified. Um, did that? Was that a process that took a, a long time? I mean, you said your vision was to be natural, biodynamic, you know, organic certified, and all that. When? How long did that take to get one the certification and you know satisfy you that you were doing it right?
4: The certification in Austria takes three years. Okay. And, and 2007 we started, it was like 7, 8, and 2009 we were certified team
3: Right. So you and, set out to be um, certified right away.
4: Yeah, but it takes like, I right. don't know how you call it in English. Yeah, like the, the conversion. The so conversion. Right. Takes three, three
5: years. years. Right.
4: So, and um, yeah, uh, satisfied. Yeah, but for us it was not the, the certification which made us uh, satisfied. It is more the, I don't know the um,
3: sustainability the, the, the progress
4: in the vineyards where we see that it it works well, you know, and it um, brings us to to our goal. What we want in the vineyards to have right. this liveliness, what Edward said, and also this very high quality grape, which brings us also to our to our wine, which we have in 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 mind.
3: Right. So. I want to talk about the grapes and all that, but before that, what are the type of soils that are, um, uh, you know, in the field? What are the grapes growing on, uh, and does it reflect, you know, the taste and the flavors? Are there different plots of different soils, or generally you're planted in similar soils?
5: Well, we have, we have lots of different soil types, and the vineyards are quite widespread, so it's small pieces. Right. With more than 40 different pieces of land, which is typical for our area. Right. So it's not one, one big surface. And so the main differentiation is the vineyards on the, the flat land, on the plain area, is mainly gravel soil, Okay, but also in our place where we are hardly any loamy, any fat, any concentrated soil. So this is also poor soil there, very stony, flinty minerality from these gravel stones. And then on the hillside, we have... A, Rather high um, amount of limestone in the soil, which is from the the ancient sea, the mussels of the ancient sea, and some slate rocks as well. So it's a good mix of these two soil types. And on top is also rather poor, so it's mainly sand soil on top, so also not a rich soil, which makes the wines also very straightforward, very sharp. Right, and so you, is also what we like.
3: you have a lot of different soil types which give you different kinds of grapes. So most of your, is this fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, most of the wines that you make are field blended?
4: Yeah, yeah all of them.
3: Right, so when you took the vineyards over, um, what grapes were already planted and... Edward, I think you said you only added, you know, a few hectares, so you didn't plant a lot of new stuff. So what was planted? And I'm guessing that's what you're going with now, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. and uh, we didn't uh, plant any new. Right. Everything was everything uh, <coughs> came um, more, it was also already planted with old wines. But um, the, the grape varieties, in we have 50% white and 50% red. It's mainly Grüner Veltliner and uh, mainly Blaufränkisch. These are two Austrian. Um
3: Blaufränkisch is the red, right, Stephanie?
4: Yes, yes. exactly. And
3: Grüner, we know, is really the famous grape of Austria. But there are <laughs> oth- there are other grapes out there, right?
5: Yeah. yeah so we have we have French Riesling, Pinot Blanc, Gewürztraminer, mainly on the white. Right. We have Zweigels with Rösler on the red. and uh, yeah, in the end. Again, the, the the focus is on this Austrian indigenous grapes. Right. But since we do the feed plants, there's hardly any single grape wines. And also we don't put the, the grape varietals on the labels because we want the wines to be free in their expression. And it's maybe different in, in the States, but in Europe and especially in Austria, uh, if people have a grape varietal in their mind, they are rather narrow-minded regarding the style of wine. and They would expect something which our wines as living as, as natural wines are not willing to fulfill. They don't want to fulfill any expectations. They just want to tell the stories of the vineyards and the vintages and nothing else.
3: So even though a wine may have a decent amount of Gruner, you're not going to label it as Gruner because you don't want people to open the bottle and think, okay, I'm drinking a Gruner. You want Gruner just to be part of what you're presenting in that whole blend and the tour and all that, true?
6: Yeah. yeah,
4: and also that people let let lose or let go from these um, uh, things which we maybe learned about wine, and because uh, wine is so, it's a, a cultural thing. It's it's something livable, and and people should uh, yeah let go. Right. It's like reading a book; you don't take. Each world word wor- wor- from each other. It's
3: like, yeah, yeah. It's it's the whole. Go
4: with the flow. Yeah, yeah.
3: I agree with that. Um, I think you guys, Edward, you may have said this and explain for me a little. I, I think you said Austria, as far as you know, making wine is not as tour-driven as, let's say, some of the other European countries like France, yeah. Italy, Spl- uh, Spain. Do you agree? And explain what you meant.
5: Yeah, I totally agree. And this is um, so actually, the German-speaking countries they they rather go for grape varietal wines, and the the quality used to be for a long time rated by the the sugar content in the grapes. So it's a different system from the appellation systems, which is common in, in the Rome, Roman countries, France, Italy, Spain, whatever. So that's also the the root of the so to say, problem. People are focusing on on the grape varietal and they don't accept that, of course, a grape varietal needs to taste differently whether you are, let's say, in the north of Austria or in the south or in the east because there's a different microclimate, there's different soil. And the the indigenous grapes, not only in Austria but everywhere, of course, why they are here, why they have been kept in the vineyards for centuries is because they can really well express the, the origin and the terroir and where they come from. And that's that's the main reason why these these grapes has been have been so successful, and not because they they are referring to any character or style of wine. And this has been in modern times, in modern winemaking, very much the focus. So grape variety wines are always made wines. So this mainly the expression is through the vinification, is not through the vineyards.
3: Right, that's what makes your wines unique. All right, so let's talk about the winemaking a little. Um, I'll set you up and say that you guys are low-intervention winemakers. You believe in gently processing your wines. So tell me how you do that, how you achieve that, you know, what you have to do. That's important to you. I mean, you have grapes that you've painstakingly farmed. You're biodynamic. You've got grapefruit. Now you're taking them into your cellar and... This is an important thing. So tell me your philosophy.
4: Yeah, I mean, the most important thing, the vineyards, and um, we are focusing outside, and what is the most important thing is the the perfectly ripe grapes, which we bring in the cellar where we don't treat the wines anymore. And if you have this balance in the vineyards and, yeah, perfectly ripe grapes, then you don't then the work at the end is done.
3: So when you say you don't you don't add anything, I mean, you, are you using natural yeasts?
4: Yeah, it's uh, um, spontaneous fermented. We don't That's do anything it, huh? in the cellar. There is no. It's
5: just the the picking, the crushing, the pressing. Right, the physical the, things you have. It's waiting, more or less, for us to to. Give the wine the time to ferment on its own, to finish the fermentation, and then to age, as long as it takes to be in harmony and balance again, and to be ready to to shine in the bottle. Right. But there's no no interference. There's no intervention. This is just because we think the, there's so so much beauty in the in the grapes we pick that it wouldn't make any sense to to intervene and to interfere because we would only reduce this beauty and we would make more one-dimensional wines if we would if we would literally make them if we would just let them let them age and grow and, and develop on their own then they are multi faced and and they have all the beauty which nature gives us
3: right now I had mentioned in the intro when you took over the winery there was a 200 year old press you did in fact restore that and do you use that to crush some of the grapes
4: then the uh, how do you call it? The the yeah.
3: The old press. The
4: machine was already in the in the in the winery,
3: right?
6: But we
4: um, store it and uh, yeah, we, we produce two wines with it. Right. But it takes really long time for one for for one press. It takes like uh, sixteen <laughs> right. hours to um, to crush one one basket.
3: As much as you don't want to intervene, you also don't want to take forever, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So, I mean, I I guess... But
4: as long as I have a good uh, bottle of wine next to me and my husband, I don't... Right, it'll it'll get you through the
3: day. (laughs) Um, Two more things on winemaking. So, you do spontaneous fermentation, right? Yeah. With naturally occurring yeast. Um, how do you age the wines? Are all the wines aged similarly? Not time-wise, but, you know, in vessels? What do you do?
5: Yeah, we, we found out that for us, the best way to age the wines is in barrels. Okay. And we use mainly bigger barrels, which means 500 liters plus. Right. So we, we have 500, 1,000, 1,500, and 3,000 liters. Are those old? Why the wood? Are those oak? Yes, oak. We have a very good cooper in Austria, so we only rely on on Austrian oak from this cooper. And um, for us, why the the wood is not to get any taste or tannics into the wine, but for us it's really to to have the chance for the wines to breathe. So we we need some oxygen exchange. We need the wines to develop because they are alive. Right. Life can only develop if there's oxygen. For us, it's the best way to to age, in, ferment as well as age the wines in the, in the barrels.
3: So, would the oak, the large containers, help you with natural wines to help them breathe and you know get that liveliness? You wouldn't necessarily get that in stainless steel or concrete.
5: Sorry, um, we have a few concrete beds as well, which we use. um, This is also a a nice way to do because there's also some micro oxygenation Um, for us. Also, because we think um, in general wood is something which is more more life. This is why we prefer the wood. But we have some concrete as well. We wouldn't exclude this at all. But stainless steel uh, in the stainless steel, the wine is hermetically closed in, and there is no exchange. So that's why you you preserve a rather fresh, uh, youthful idea of wine, but it's really hard for wine to settle and to develop, and this is what we are longing for, because in the end, we want to bottle the wines at the time. They are stable, they are harmonized, they are balanced, and that means they need to develop to a certain extent. Right.
3: Now, I, I think I came across this, and I'm not sure if it's all your wines, but I read that You treat the red and white grapes the same way, as far as leaving them on the skins and fermenting and all of that. Is that true, or is that with some of the wines?
4: No, this we we started in um, fifteen already, and sixteen we closed the gap between white and red. Right. Because for for our idea was like that. I mean, either than me, we are thinking a lot, discussing a lot, and. (laughs) <laughs> we think what we do and uh, we realize that in the vineyards we don't make any differentiation between white and red and who is saying that we we have to do it in the in the cellar and that's why we said okay we don't discriminate one or the other color we treat them completely the same
3: and you get and the results said, okay, you get the results you want
4: yes and what we also realized is that uh, with the red that uh, through them uh, through the skin contact and for too long uh, uh leaving the wines on the skins it's covering so much beauty from the soil and so much minerality from the soil that uh, we realized that yeah that's great what we do is we do one third um on skins and two third is direct press with white and red
3: right um that's a very interesting thing about um your wines and I'm not sure a lot of people know that um you make certified biodynamic wines, which is really, you know, and you have guys said it a few times during our talk, you know, a living, vibrant wine. Um, there's a very large movement towards um, natural, biodynamic, and organic wines. You guys witnessed that at the Raw Wine Fair, how many producers, how many people. Um, so the popularity is incredible. When you come to New York and a place like Brooklyn, people go nuts for it. There are wine stores just dedicated to it and restaurants, and there's a reason why, because, you know, the product is so good. But I had a few questions. I think some of the knocks or criticism that natural wines get are consistency, such variation in vintages, and even the potential of ageability. Um, How do you address those things?
5: For us, in the end, we don't want to be the, the, the natural guys and there's the other wine world. For us, it's all wine. And as grower, you simply need to make a clear decision and you need to know what you want, whether you work conventionally, whether you use chemistry or whether you work organically or biodynamically. It's a, it's a clear decision you have to make. In the end, our wines, they should compete with the rest of the, the wines in the world, which are... In an artisanal production, this is a, this is a more crucial differentiation for us, because an industrially produced wine, of course, will be standardised in taste, will always taste the same. It's like, it's like a, it's more like a drink than a uh, than an agricultural produce. But if you work with the soil, and if you are especially in a region where there's a difference in vintages, and in weather, in climate, whatever. There is nothing more beautiful than having, in the end, a non consistent produce, but something you would always rediscover and you would always, you would never have the feeling to know in detail because when it comes the next vintage again, you would have to relearn the beauty and rediscover it. And that's actually what we as growers do because every spring, now it's springtime is coming, so the vegetation season is starting. We have a certain clue, of course, but we, we don't know what will be the outcome in autumn, we just go for it. And the same is what we suggest to open-minded consumers. This is this is not a, a disadvantage, it's an advantage of the living of the natural wines that don't have the consistency, but you always have the new experience to taste and retaste. But of course the but is, and this is also what is always criticized, of course there's some wines which are not good, which which don't age well, whatever, this you have in all the wine world. True. So this is nothing special for for the natural wine.
6: True. There
5: is wines which which don't age well because the grapes are not healthy because the vineyards are not in the sane in the healthy condition, and there is not the, the energy the the wines need to to protect themselves. We have this, this healthy grapes. We don't need any medicine to protect them. We don't need any sulfides added or whatever. So this is a is a clear and healthy produce. We can guarantee a couple of years in the in the bottle to, to age them well. We can't guarantee 50, 60 years, but right. if you long for this, it's always a wine with lots of lots of minification. Otherwise, a fermented grape juice doesn't really long to age that well. I mean, it can happen once in a while, but this is not the, what necessarily needs to happen. But if either you add lots of sulfides or you do an over those of, of skin contact, then you can get to this point. But if you're longing for certain harmony and balance, we don't necessarily have to have this potential. But you have a certain potential of, let's say, 20 years for sure to age them well.
3: Uh, Edward, well said. I mean, certainly a philosophy and a practice I know you follow. And I think a lot of people who don't know much about natural wines or the importance of the land or how the wine is made, I think in answering that question, you addressed a lot of things. But in the end, it's not about uh, labels or titles. It's about putting your head down and making artisanal wines. Um, And and I agree with you. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about a few more things. I want to get into the labels, which I think is a very important part of Gut Ogao, um, and a few other things. Then I want to ask each of you to answer my wine list. So we're talking to Edward and Stephanie Chepe Esselbach from Gut Ogao, and you are listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back.
1: I think of Ross Grand Cru Circois, which was named 2016's world championship cheese, and Satari's black pepper Bellavitano, the 2017 U.S. championship cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com.
3: Welcome back to The Grape Nation. We're talking to Stephanie and Edward Cheppe uh, Ezelbalk from Gut Oco. They are in the Bergenland in Austria, and... They are making a very exciting line of wines that have gotten incredible notices. They're limited wines, but they're available at uh, some great restaurants, uh, certainly in New York and uh, parts of the country, and they are in some better wine stores. Um, so guys, I want to talk to you about something that is very visual, and that is after you've done everything we discussed, which is planting and growing, vinting and bottling and all of that, you have this very eye-catchy, stunning concept with your labels. Um, so talk to me about the story behind the labels, and then we'll try to describe them to people.
5: Yeah, the... the... The story of the labeling actually is quite simple because when we started in 2007, our first vintage, we didn't really have any clue of the outcome of whatever we were expecting from the vineyards and the quality of the wines, the natural approach, whatever. But what we realized when we heard the first wines in and they were fermenting and after fermentation was a very, very particular lifeliness in the wines, also at that point already. And for us, we found that each wine was so unique in personality and character that we said why wouldn't we describe the wines as if they were persons when they are for us these strong personalities and that's what we did so we put a personal profile on each of the wines and then created faces according to this personal profile and so the faces on the labels they are fictional they are not any reference to our living family or any working persons or whatever But it's just the the expression of the character of the wine transferred into a face, And the the wine family in three generations is according to the natural potential of storytelling of the vineyards. So there's vineyards which would always give us rather youthful, energetic wines. And there's vineyards which would give us more life experience, more settled characters. And that's how we differentiate these different wines.
3: So you have the three generations, or you have grandparents, parents, and kids and you said that the wine labels with the younger members of this family are the more youthful, energetic wines. And as you move up, do you use the 200-year-old press to press the grandparent wines? Yeah, the grandparents, we we
4: uh, press with the old tree
3: press. Right. So that, that, yeah. that matches everything. So there are... Ten wines, ten family members.
4: Yeah. Yes, yes.
3: How does that break down? Couple of grandparents. Then where does it go from there?
4: Uh, <laughs> I think in uh, like in the uh, uh, normal, crazy families. You know, <laughs> it's right. like all mixed up.
3: <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, is there any uh, truth or resemblance in any of these stories, characters, drawings?
5: No, the 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 stories also you, you must not take too seriously, but for us, it was important to show. And this is also something which is crucial with this wine family idea. On the one hand, we are not longing for perfect wines. We're just longing for the best expression of the, the vintages and the vineyards. And so also these wines and the characters of the wines and the personalities and the faces, they are not perfectly modeled. It's not everybody's darling, so they can be a little grumpy sometimes and... They're, they're also not, not too easy to approach to a certain extent. So these are partly also introverted, reluctant characters. But uh, this is, has nothing to do with any, any living
3: person. Okay. So it's all uh,
5: according to, to the wines. And with the, with the storytelling also, we wanted to show that, uh, again, these wines are far from being perfect. They're just interesting because of their strong, firm characters and, and the stories they have to, they can tell.
3: So Edward, you're saying people are imperfect, and so are not the wines. Fair?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. Now, on each wine, there is a little story on the back about you know the character, the style. Correct? Yes. And the drawings, and it's fun to see all ten bottles together. And when I promote and post the show, I'll put that on our Instagram and Facebook. Um, but. Their line drawings. I think I read somewhere. And tell me this: you, you brought on a, was it a, a local artist or a friend to do the drawings?
4: No, it's. Big. I was in an art school, right? And I studied photography, and it's a friend of mine. Right. Who did the drawing?
3: So you had a friend do it. Now here's the thing that I read that I wanted to ask you: you're I don't know ten, eleven vintages into uh, the wines. Do you age the character in the line drawings with time, or are they the same?
4: No, they stay the same.
3: They do? I, th- yeah, yeah. I the thought I read somewhere to... that you age the uh, character. No. No. All right.
4: So
5: what, is, what is crucial in our approach, as you already mentioned, and, and which is correct, we do field plants, but every vintage, the same vineyards go into the same wine character, and the same personality. So in the end, we have a strong recognizability of this character of the wines because of the soil, which is the constant level every vintage. So the the vintages do make a difference. Of course, sometimes the wines are a little more extroverted, sometimes right. a little more introverted, whatever. But in the end, the, 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 the strong character and the personality behind is the same because it's driven by the soil. Right. So And, and so the, the family can or could so far also stay uh visibly the same because we we always felt this personality every vintage in in the wine.
3: Right. One question to that. Um do you tweak the percentage of blends each year or you, you know will you stay at 60% grüner on one of them all the time or you'll go up and down based on the vintage?
4: No because sometimes we don't even know how much percentage it is.
3: Right. So that because varies. We
4: take yeah, because we take everything what the the vineyard gives us and we put it together, we, we pick it together and, and uh, ferment it together.
3: Right. Um, one last thing, and then I want to ask you my wineless questions. What do you guys think drove such incredible interest and sort of created this cult-like following for your wines? I mean, it's really been an amazing... It's probably one of the most Instagrammed wines. You know, it's a Somme favorite, so I'm guessing that Psalms had something to do with it, being at wine fairs, the labels. You know, people look at books and they see a label, they buy it. They'll look at a wine. Distributors, you know, if you have the right to. What, what drove this, like, recent, you know, in the past few years, it's been meteoric. Do you have any handle on that? <laughs> it's good. Uh, no, but what do you think?
5: PR agency anything? <laughs> nope. But what we think, I mean, of course, we, we sometimes we question it ourselves because we don't really know. I mean, for us, it's great. to right. have this impact, but we don't really know exactly. So everything is important and nothing is important on the same hand. Right. Because what we do, we do with passion and emotion. And obviously, these emotions, they, they are really uh, transported in, in each bottle. And we get amazing feedback, not only on the social medias, but also direct feedback, from all over the world by people having our wines and memorizing Writing them.
4: Emails and right. It, it was a, a, the best wine. And it's really something for us also incredible and we have to, I don't know how we have a saying, like that we have to uh, take each other because we, for us it's also incredible that people are so reflecting on our wines.
5: But yeah, it, it, it has yeah, been. But inc- we, we have a very humble point of view on this because in the end it's a very consistent work we do we don't make any compromises we what we promise is what people find in the wines and that's also probably crucial
3: right um i agree with that all right i want to ask you guys i want to move to our wine list i want to ask you guys a bunch of questions i want to get a idea of what you guys are drinking um so I'm going to ask you a question, and each one of you uh, answer it. It's about five questions. We'll buzz through them. So besides drinking and tasting good oca, what wines are you guys trying and drinking now? What's on your table? What's interesting you? Is there anything seasonal? Stephanie, what are you drinking now?
4: Um, now I drink, because we came, just came from Sicily, um, vino di Anna. okay. One of my favorite
3: wines. All right, right now that's a good one, Edward.
5: Yeah, of course, I am happy to share bottles with my <laughs> wife. <laughs> okay,
3: so the but, bo- um, Anything yeah, else?
5: On the same, on the same hand. So, talking of Italy, for example, Le Coste from Latium is also one of our at that time
3: nice. favorite wines to drink. Great, good to hear that. Now, do you got this? Will be a collective answer. You don't have to answer it individually. Do you guys have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something you come back to? Is there something that when you cook and match it with the same wine, you say, oh, wow. Is there a favorite?
4: No, because uh, we, we never go back to this, what we had already. <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> You're always moving. <laughs> Not even
4: it would be too boring. <laughs> but
3: not even champagne and oysters. I mean, you don't have a favorite thing.
5: No, okay. no,
4: no, no, no right. not really. <laughs> All right,
3: you got you're right. You guys are boring. All right. Now, <laughs> probably you're gonna have to answer this um with a European answer, maybe a local answer, but feel free to answer it with you know, any place. I always ask my guests. Tell me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. You know, a place that you go to that has an incredible selection of wines, they're knowledgeable, knowledgeable about it, you know, they have good food or it's just a good wine bar. Do you guys have a favorite, whether it be locally or in another country or the U.S.? Is there anything that stands out to you guys? Russ, it's, to be
5: honest, a little hard to, to answer this because we we have the chance to travel a lot and we see so many beautiful places with passionate people and burning for for the for the idea of our wines and the, the wines of fellow growers so it would be quite unfair to just name one or even name 10 because there's right i, there's I, I thousands I, of really really great places around
3: a lot of times i have to tell my guests you know i'm not asking you that to incriminate you or Sort of leave anyone behind, but you know, every now and then somebody has an opinion. I think the good news is, and you'll agree with me, there are a lot of places like this, true? Yeah, more More and more. More, yeah, than ever. All right, so. Yeah,
4: but what I would also, I mean, I would give you um, a place, of course. It's um, in Austria, it's called Restaurant Taubenkoben. Spell that and, for me, um,
3: Stephanie. Spell it.
4: This is Tauben Kobel, and this is the restaurant uh, which my parents own. Ah, yes. With, uh, my I sister know it. and um, her uh, husband are um, uh, running the business. And my ma- mother started already 30 years ago with um, a really amazing wine list with uh, Biodynamic and natural wines already. And my sister and, my, and her husband are now nice. running this place. This, nice. I would, uh, of course, say that it has to be a place to be.
3: Right, and I would agree. I am glad you mentioned that. I right, two more questions quickly. Do you guys have each of you a favorite all-time wine? Is there a wine you've drank during your adult lifetime that just transcended you to somewhere else? Can you put? Can you pin it down to one or two or? You know, any wine that you felt so strongly about, Stephanie?
4: Mm, I just think about... um, Yeah, I mean, there are two wines, because uh, uh, one is um, Emilio Pepe, also um, a wine producer from Italy. Okay. And um, then there's um, um, Coutois, and these are two wine producers who we love, and um, yeah, we love to drink, Okay. and
3: yeah. Edward, you agree?
5: I always agree with my wife. <laughs> okay, I'm not going <laughs> to.
3: Now, Stephanie, the second wine, will you spell that for me so I know what you mentioned, the second wine? Which one? The second wine uh, that you mentioned.
5: Uh, Julien Courtois from the Loire Valley.
3: Got it, Okay. All right, last question. I ask my guests, you know, what's the best wine that's a great value? Usually I ask them about, you know, $15 American and all of that. Because there are some terrific wines at great prices, but some are better than the others. I'm not going to ask you for a specific wine or even a price, but in your guys' opinion, what do you think... Are the great <laughs> value wine opportunities? Like, for instance, Muscadet is a terrific wine and it's reasonable. What else do you think? Of course, about, good <laughs> but, 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 very reasonable. It, very no, reasonable. we know that. That's, but, but beyond that, I mean, Gr- <laughs> Gruner, would you agree so, Gruner course. is a great value for the money?
5: Yeah, we, we, we've traveled recently and also are in contact with lots of fellow growers and friends in south of France. Yes. and here you find some amazing growers which are more or less sometimes only at the start right but for us i mean what is what does what does value mean so value doesn't necessarily mean that, that it has to be at a low price value can also be a high priced wine can have a, a very good value because it's always a question of the work behind the the effort the growers the growers making the the surroundings, the the preconditions in the vineyards, whatever the emotions which the people put inside, whatever. So that's also a question for us. If you ask for what is a good value wine, we wouldn't say it has to be a rather cheap wine. It can be right. Also that's why else. I don't
3: use the but, word cheap. Um, but yeah. I'm I'm always out on that quest for a great bottle of wine that is not that expensive. And, you know, next time I should sort of mention that, you know, it should be from people who are sustainable growers and low interventionists because then you really get everything. So I
4: Yeah, you're right.
3: I, I agree with all of that. Um, yeah. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up the show. Thank you for answering my uh, wine list questions. I'm going to post them on our social media. Um, okay. That was Edward and Stephanie Sheppe Esselbach from Good Oga. They answered that. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samathegrapenation.com. That's samathegrapenation.com. You could follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Uh, we'll post Stephanie and Edward's wineless answers on our social media sites and any other information on Good Oga. You can follow us on Instagram at sbenruby, and you could now follow hashtags, so follow the hashtag the Grape Nation and on Twitter we're at Ben Ruby. Um, Edward and Stephanie, if we want to find out more information and we want to follow you guys and the brand on social media, where should we look towards huh,
4: the easiest is on Instagram.
3: Okay, and the Instagram account is.
4: It's
3: Good Oga. Good Oga. Okay, that's G U T O G G A U. So that would be the best place to go. All right, yeah. I want to thank my guests, Stephanie and Edward, Jeppe Aselbach from the winery Good Oga. I want to thank you for taking time out of what I know is a very busy schedule. I've been kind of tracking you, and I think you guys have been on and off the road a lot lately. So thanks for sitting down. Um, I want to thank, thank our. Thank
4: you for, having, for us. having us.
3: Thank you. I want to thank our engineer David, who's helping me today, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to the Grape Nation.
6: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio, supported by you.